Hold on to your hats, kids. It's a time for the Dice Are Screaming podcast Aww. once again. Oh, boy, that's a good one. I like that. <laughs> yeah, I'm Randy. And I am Mike. And we are the Dice Are Screaming podcast. Okay, we need more music. I know, I know. We're slacking. <laughs> well, what do you expect from the gas station egg salad sandwich of gaming podcasts? Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> I was saving that. I didn't even tell you oh, what I was yeah. going to use today. I no, was, he didn't. I was, I've been saving that like it, it, like it was sitting in the dashboard of a hot car. That's right, he's been keeping that one to himself, and well, we are now sharing in all your benevolence. Thank you, Mike We really need to, like, do it like a newscast, like, you know, WOTC 67.5 on your AM dial. It's Mike Hanna with the news, and Joe Richter with sports, and Jeremy Smith with the weather. <laughs> oh, man. And pass it back and forth like yeah, Anchorman. That's right. So, and shout out to Joe Richter and Jeremy Smith, not Roth, Soft. Thank you for all your kind words and generous support. Hope you enjoy the show tonight. We have a little special one lined up for you, but also some shout outs to people who've been favoring us. Uh, Judd Carlman. Ah. That's, a, that's a handy name, Judd Carlman. Bravo. And Mandy Sublet. Welcome. Yeah, and Dino Laser. Okay, that just won the internet. Yeah. I, that is, it just, it's a one-word explanation of everything I really want out of life. Dino Lazor. Yeah, best name ever. It should come with a light show. I'm saying. <laughs> it's a, like a classic hair metal band. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, we had, uh, we had a little bit of a call-in. Uh, Tim Shorts. Last week we were talking about uh, is the DM a player, and uh, you left a message. It didn't come through, but uh, it did have the oh. title. It said, I'm not sure if it's a good question, if the DM is a player. And, yeah, okay, so yeah, we were kind of just going on with a hot topic, you know, a hot take at the moment on the Internet. I guess that's what the cool kids are calling it. It may have even been a garbage take on some people's part, as I did notice that uh, it was rightly canned. Well, there was a spit take on my part where I was like, <laughs> what? There's somebody at the table who isn't playing D&D, and it's the DM? You know, no, we're all playing that. Uh, yeah. But, you know, they, we just wanted to talk about it because it seemed like I had some meat on the bone, and uh, not that we have any particular dog in the fight. We know where we stand on the topic here at the Dice of Screaming. Oh, yeah, we're comfortable in, in you know, our stance on it. Uh, and certainly... If it makes somebody else happy at their table, well, then whatever they believe is kosher by me. But uh, for my part, uh, I I play D&D. Yeah, whether you're DMing or you're... Sometimes I play it behind a screen, and sometimes I play it full frontal. So. And on that note, that's our topic tonight. We're talking about, since we talk, gave a lot of consideration to the DM as a player, we're going to have character story night. That's right. Yes! The actual stories of characters, it's its our turn to just do the most normal thing in all of gaming. It is literally an archetype from the dawn of gaming. Let me tell you about my character. Uh, it's become... Uh, it was a meme before there were memes. True, true. Yes, you could say that it was memed. 
mean to like a boss. Right. So it's it's a permanent facet of gaming. It's it's just part of who we are and the stuff we do. Uh, every con, every event, you know, the swapping of character stories was kind of a a standard uh, event that you just came to expect. So. Since we're a podcast about gaming old school and new school, it only seemed right to give this little homage to, well, you know, this part of gaming. Yeah, well, you know, characters. Um, a lot of times, playing characters is kind of the... You have to do it, of course. You have to have a cast of interesting characters, and sometimes they can just be like Mike the Fighter or, you know, Joe the Barbarian. Nothing wrong with that. Oh, but, you know, it's much better when you have characters that kind of develop a background, maybe from the onset or through play. Through play is obviously what's preferred, but you can come to the table with your game on and have a good story to tell. You can. It is not impossible to, you know. <laughs> but I, I honestly love... A very specific thing about gaming, period, that um, it's as though a handful of people sit down at a table and they watch a movie that exists for no one else in the world, or they, they you know, unfold a story, they, they read a book, mm -hmm. um, and you can go out into the world and say, for instance, you talk about a book like Pride and Prejudice or uh, Frankenstein or you know, uh, something well-known by all, you know, uh, Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven. Millions and millions of people have read that book and have their own thoughts on it. Uh, you know, they, they've read these poems or these stories, and they can exchange ideas about them. But what happens at a game table is unique to only the people who were there at that moment. And that's why it becomes such a habit for us to relate the stories of individual table happenings to other gamers who were not present at that time. Uh, they get it. They're, they're able to sense the, the core similarities and experiences, but uh, the events that unfold at a table during a game are a tiny little history that exists for just one group of people. Right. And that's There's something really amazing about it. It does have a little bit of our out studio feel to it because you can only relate it out of the context of the people that were there. They really get it. And other people are just kind of like, well, uh, you know, I, I wasn't really there for it, but I understand that you're excited about it. Well, and speaking to that, uh, before we launch into any actual character stories, I want to mention uh, Jolly Blackburn's Knights of the Dinner Table comic, which mm -hmm. we picked up a couple of episodes of those shortly after it became a going thing, and it cracked us up. Now, a lot of people didn't get it. You know, the characters seemed badly drawn and, you know, just so crude and like little stock shots. Uh, but the text, the dialogue, uh, the stories were stories of gamers. And they were hauntingly familiar. Like, oh, geez, I know a guy exactly like that. Ah, oh, this one time we were at a table and this guy did this. It, it all of it rang a bell. There were certain things that just gamers connected to that nobody else could, and it worked out really well for Jolly. Uh, he, yeah, and he also gave out a card that, you know, um, just like the Monopoly cards, like, get out of jail free, like, you know, uh, 
you know, get out of a character story for free card. <laughs> yeah, you would hint, you know. Oh, well, I tell you about the character I had in Tomb of Horrors, you know, he uh, he killed a Siric, the uh, Demi Lich, with one hit from his Mace's Rubber. There, there you go, here's your card. I'm done with the story. <laughs> so, hopefully, you'll stick with us and uh, yeah, we'll regale gonna... you with a few tales. I'm going to go out of uh, script and uh, talk about some characters that are not DD. Um, I have some ones that are long lived, and I oh sure that are uh, uh, my mages and uh, my long remembered elf fighter magic user. But I'm not going to talk about those because that's kind of a very personal thing for me, and I don't. It's not that I feel uncomfortable sharing any stories. Like it's very private for me. I'm a very uh, reserved individual. I was uh, going to mention uh, at least one character that wasn't from D and D myself. So yeah, it's, it's so, fine. You know. Yeah, we'll we'll uh, segue into those. Uh, as we go. So, who gets first shot? I, I don't know. Flip a coin, roll yeah, a dice. Got a coin. We have the coin right here. Ah! And the coin right. I always carry with me, just for decision-making purposes. It's unveiled in its tattered pouch. Yeah, this is, attention. this is a very nice little, uh, you know... Memento Mori coin. And I can't get the knot out. Ah, curses. Always <laughs> uh, springing up. All right. Ah, now that's the... Egg salad sandwich of uh, the gas station egg salad sandwich of gaming podcasts. All right, you want Holy heads crap. or tails? How much coin did we need for this? Is it going to dent the table? Yeah, it'll probably uh, cause uh, die three points of damage. Holy Ten. crap! All right, that was a gold piece in D and D. You know, I don't think I could carry a sack with more than a couple of hundred in it. Yeah, it's really big. It's an Assassin's Creed Unity that uh, my wife gave me. Uh, not that I play Assassin's Creed much, but you know. No, but it's cool. Yeah, I it like really it. Cool. I like it. So. All right, we better move this out of the way. Yeah, make some room. All right, clear All right. the table. I will take tails. You'll take tails. This is heads. This is tails. Heads it is, so I will start. All, All right. right. So I'll lead you off here. I'll talk about a Greyhawk character I played, and this was totally uh, not a campaign that I was involved in. I wasn't co-DMing. This was the first time I just sat down uh, at a table. That was being run as Louis Greyhawk, and uh, I created the character before this uh, name came into use. <clears throat> I was uh, Cedric Truecloak, hmm. and uh, a cleric of Trithirian. And uh, for those in the know, in the world of Greyhawk, is known as the Summoner, a libertine that I based partially off my friend here, Mike. Oh. You know, oh, a spear-wielding cleric who summoned uh, various beasts to uh, smite tyrants and uh, create freedom, free slaves, very motivated. And, uh, you know, started off at first level in the city of Greyhawk and, uh, you know, going on typical adventures that one does in the city of Greyhawk are intrigue-based. And uh, we were eventually came up against a Rakshasa. Oh, and, uh, you know, blessed crossbow of all time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the kryptonite to the Rakshasa. Yeah, and uh, so he got his start and was quite prominent in uh, Greyhawk City. And uh, I ended up playing him for about six months before that little mini campaign came to a close. It was, uh, okay. got up to ninth level and we uh, founded my own church and of Trithurian, the summoner, the Flaming brand of justice with uh, broadsword, spear, and trident. I don't know why I had a trident, but I did. Oh, you know, things you find. And well, Cedric was uh, a very um, 
if you really wanted to get down to it, I, I channeled a lot of Oliver Queen from the uh, Green Arrow, Green Lantern comics. How Ooh. he always pointed out social injustices before SJW was a thing. So he is my social justice cleric, and <laughs> I really liked playing him because for the first time I'd stepped out of the role of just being like a healer or a uh, buffer of the party, you know, protection from evil and uh, prayer and bless spells, to actually taking a firm role in the world around me. Mm. I had true motivations, and partially due to the god, Trithirian, which was one of my favorite gods out of the world of Greyhawk. Yeah, one, definitely one of the more interesting gods out of Greyhawk. Uh, so Cedric, true cloak. chaotic good. Uh, I mean, obviously, there are some other chaotic good deities, but uh, Trithirian is a fun one. Yeah. Uh. So that was, that's my opener, that's Cedric, and uh, then everybody was like, Cedric the Entertainer, yeah, yeah, I, I, I know, I know. No, but Cedric's a fine old Anglo. I know, I know it is, but so, everybody was... And it's a cool name, period. But, you know, when any time in gaming tables, when you bring up anybody who is anyone in pop culture... You know, oh, well, uh, all right, I'm as guilty as, as any. Uh, no, I'm actually more guilty than most. <laughs> yeah. You really can't mention anything uh, around me without some kind of pop culture reference getting thrown out there, uh, just at random. And, and in fact, not even always pop culture references, just opportune puns. The lowest form of humor. <laughs> I'm guilty. But no, I had never actually heard stories of this. Uh, Cedric, you had mentioned being a priest of Tritherian a long time ago, uh, but I never actually got to see that character in action. No, but like I said, it was a six-month campaign. But it was my opener. It's kind of lame, I know, that... You know, I started off like, oh, crossbow, crossbow bolt, blessed. All right, yeah. And there you go, Mr. Rickshasa. And, uh, you know, we were only third level, but we did manage to slay him, of course. I will also mention that it uh, killed the uh, dwarf barbarian in the party, but, you know. Oh, so you had a casualty fighting a Rakshasa, which is not surprising because they... They actually have a lot of hit points. Yes, they do. And a battery of spells. That's a pretty tough. That's a pretty tough encounter. Yeah, with that tough little dwarf, uh, a guy just like a champ, just re-rolled into one. But you know, at least he didn't die by a kobold. Oh, jeez, yeah, the lowest form of death. Well, that hits up uh, me. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to tell my number one character, your favorite character story, uh, which would be. Barak Stormbrow. Oh, yes. Uh, now, the Stormbrow was my own, but uh, the, the name was actually hijacked from the Sleeping Dragon by, uh, I believe it was Carl Rosenberg. Uh, yeah, Carl Rosenberg. Yeah, I'm a little iffy on the last name. I think it was Rosenberg. But Joel I Rosenberg. Joel, there it is. Joel Rosenberg. Yes, the Sleeping Dragon. Read it. Uh, and that character was... <laughs> the second fighter that uh, I ran in a full-length campaign. And, you know, it was the archetypical backstory, which is, uh, you know, uh, orphaned by a raiding fleet that torched his village to the ground and, you know, uh, hoofed his way over land to go sign up with a mercenary company, uh, you know, to learn to fight, and held a long grudge, you know, just a... Uh, a, a thoroughgoing survivor, but held an enormous long grudge uh, against reavers, pillagers, slavers of all types. You know, that uh, 
Not a not a great crusader for like all universal justice or anything like that. It was principally about, you know, hey, I'm in this for me. But had a deep grudge just for that. Ooh. <laughs> uh, wielding a two-handed sword. Uh, <laughs> which once again archetypical of, of uh, uh, classic D D fighter. You know, where the the focus, the emphasis was like, I am here to dole out harm. Yeah, you were all in with the two-handed sword. There was no <laughs> reservations where you start. Let's go drinking and wenching and start a legend. You know, uh, yep. repeated visits to the cleric to, uh, mm. you know, get those post-Shorely blues taken care of. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, those off-dungeon times, those down times after the dungeon can be really harsh, can't they? <laughs> Sometimes success tries a man as surely as failure. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, Barak Stormbrow was a, a noteworthy fighter that uh, ran his way up to well past ninth level. And we had run the entire gamut of Temple of Elemental Evil, the Slaver series, yep. uh, the Against the Giants campaign, the uh, Underdark Drow campaign, and Queen of the Demon Web Pits. So mm -hmm. that was a character that made the entire journey through the classic series of modules, and that is part of why uh, it looms so large in my memory as a great time that I truly enjoyed, especially in the Giants with the bunch of you who were... Really, one hit, one killing everything with bows and spells and all the other stuff. And then tail end Charlie with the two-handed sword run, finally run his way into the fray just in time to, like, take out a couple of the leftovers. Uh, and in mid-argument over how to tactically enter the hall of, uh, I believe it was the fire giants? No, it was the old giants that, that uh, you pulled that little was stunt on us. Okay. The yeah, old so we would take time out to give our tactical operations as I was freshly minted from the Marines and I was into standard operating procedures of ACE, area, control, and exit. Well... You know, it, we determine the area, angles, corners, exits, people, focus! Well, those... Those planning sessions were in, in mid-year when I finally snapped and handed a note over that said, while the rest of the party is discussing tactics, Barak enters the hall of the chieftain and then spikes the door closed behind him. Uh, went in there with a two-handed sword that kills giants. The giant's link sword from the uh, cloud giant chieftain. And proceeded to lay waste to the room. Uh, and the, I just, you know, the party let me have it. They were like, you know, just just let him go. You know, he needs this. Battered <laughs> and bruised and with it, it I taps into his cache of healing potions and Kiatom's ointments. Yeah, I lost a bunch of hit points. But, you know, that when that fight ended, I was just like, ah, thanks. I really needed that. I feel so much better. Oh, yeah. And, you know, don't let Mike fool you. He took, he hand-handed some stuff, too, now and then. So oh, sure. He likes to play up that he was tail and Charlie. But yeah, Barak Stonebro, good character. Um, I'm actually going to break and talk about a Gamma World character. No problem. Uh, he was known as the Black Rider. Oh. One of my favorites uh, to have. The Black Rider, a mutated human in uh, Gamma World 2nd Edition, who had the Gamma 
And if you know what the gamma eye is, yeah, it's a death stare. But I also had uh, radioactive absorbent skin. So my character was completely jet black. And head to toe. And I was the leader of a mutant game. It was Reavers and uh, mercenaries and whatnot. And I got usurped, the old Conan style, and nailed to the tree of woe. And that's how I became, started the campaign. I used to have a whole bunch of stuff, then I did. Dark Wanderer. Yep, but the legend of the Dark Rider, much like Mad Max. You know, always out for himself, but always with an angle to help other people. When it really came down to it. You know, yeah. He had learned his lesson and kind of reformed from the Reaver and uh, Scavenger, Warlord of the Wasteland sort of character that he was, into a wandering champion of the Underdog. Rescuer of the Downtrodden. I mean, and a little profit on the side would be a nice thing. You know, I was always dealing in those artifacts with the Cryptic Alliances and uh, you know, playing uh, fast and loose with some of the others. Um, yes, I was with, what was that cryptic society that was with the mutant? Oh, Ranks of the Fit. Oh, wow. For Yeah, the mutant supremacists. Basically yeah. like if Magneto had won. Exactly. That very, you know, pro-mutation. We are the future. And if you had a really good mutation, they were your buddies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, if you didn't... You know, yeah, whoa. or if you were a pure straight human. Woe betide ye. Yeah. Uh, if you were pure strain human in a Gamma World campaign and you met the ranks of the fit. The oh boy, that Gamma Eye. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it was a nice hole card. You just couldn't use it when there were friendlies handy. No, well, you could, you but careful. it was just, you know, it knocks you out. Oh, yeah. Didn't, did he have the life leech thing? You were the, the death field absorption? Yeah, thing? the death field absorption. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was the other part. Is yeah, that one didn't get used too much because <laughs> the party slept around the campfire together. Everybody else wakes up and goes, "Man, I had this dream where I was like a milkshake, and there was a giant straw stuck in me." Well, now the Deathbeal generation, not you go right unconscious. Yeah, it you kill everybody around you, but you fall unconscious and are helpless. You recover in a day or so, but. Mm. Yeah, it'll get you hit points. Kind of like uh, an Odin sleep, but uh, it was a little bit more epic. When you went to sleep, everybody was dead. But yes, great character, and uh, one of my favorites from Gamma World, and uh, I liked playing I was introduced as a ruthless warlord who was usurped by his own men, and then or mutants, from the ranks of the fit, and began at first questing vengeance to reclaim everything, but then learned a lesson along the way. Yeah. Very cool campaign. Gosh, that makes me want to play Gamma World again. Mm. Uh, number two favorite character. Um, Randy and I had just started doing a first edition retro campaign at the local comic book shop to introduce people who had never played first edition to first edition. Uh, the principal reason that I was a player was because it really called for someone who knew the game inside and out to be amongst the players, helping them adapt. Because trying to teach when you're also trying to DM is just brutal. You know, it's exhausting if you got more than one person. Coaching one newbie along is not so bad. But walking uh, three or four brand new people who have never played the game is very tough. So I finagled my way into taking the rogue slot. 
and I ran an elven thief uh, who went in human lands by the simple name of Thorn. And Thorn was exactly that, you know, Thorn yeah. in the side of uh, whatever was irritating him at the moment. Uh, but, you know, very archetypal uh, sword, short bow, daggers, and there you go. Uh, and very high dexterity. Extremely. So, what I basically did was play point man for the rest of the party. And this led to a lot of comic moments, because sometimes when you've been a DM and you've been through classic modules, you know where everything is, mm -hmm. you know what's going on. My job was actually to help the party learn how to make decisions on their own, not to do it for them. So I would only deliver like really solid advice uh, without giving away the keys to the kingdom. And <laughs> by playing point man and opening trapped chests and, you know, like trying to prevent people from falling down pit traps, I basically walked them through the process of figuring out how to be cautious in an old school D&D campaign. Uh, along the way, Thorn the Elven Rogue uh, managed to commit a lot of hilarities. Uh, one of which was, well, I mean, it's not necessarily a hilarity, but... Um, there was the trap with the electrical runes, mm. and I set that off and, you know, got fried to within an inch of my life. And, I, you know, I, I was sitting there at the table as this is described to me, and I turned to the rest of the party and said, everything tastes like pennies. Mm. Uh, <laughs> but, uh... It wouldn't be the first time. I, I got my paws on a rope of climbing and used it effectively during a Mass Malie and Isle of Dread, yep. X1, to backstab a Tyrannosaurus Rex, <laughs> which oh, was yeah. a glorious moment to get the backstab kill on a T-Rex in-game. I was a very happy camper. So that was that was my number two. As long as you can land on the back, you still get a backstab. Oh, oh using the filter of persuasion to convince... Uh, recalcitrant players who had recently murder hoboed an NPC for nothing but profit to repent against their wicked ways, confess, and return all the goods. Uh, beware the power of the filter of persuasion in first edition. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We had some murder hobos creep into the table, but I think they learned their lesson. Yeah, just a, just a little lesson to teach them uh, about, you know, not saying you can't run an evil character. Have a little class. Have a little class. I'm sorry. Think big, villains. Don't just murder hobo people in alleyways. Uh, all right. Number three for you. All right. My last character will be uh, Dural Hammerhand, one that you ran through Forgotten Realms, and this was where I was just specifically a player. And once again, returning to my roots, Fafford Ironbeard, my very first dwarf character, I came up with Dural Hammerhand. And uh, just a dwarf fighter... Axe, chainmail, you know, not anything too crazy at first. But through good play, and also just being a grouchy, crabby, and very taciturn dwarf, <laughs> which sometimes vexed the DM, poor Mike, when uh, he introduced a hobgoblin mercenary. And I don't deal with no hobgoblins. <laughs> I'm like, well, this one's being peaceful. Well, that's nice. 
<laughs> and you know, will you would you drink with an enemy? No. Would you drink with a friend? Well, alright. I'll drink to that. <laughs> Turn the old patent, I'll drink with the son of a bitch, and we're both sons of bitches, so we drank to our mutual hatred of one another. Oh yeah, they were never friends. Uh but they were occasionally on the same side because the mercenary company that would be Yeah, it, 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 it did tie in, and I was just being obstinate as every dwarf should be. Absolutely. His enmity towards this, you know, hobgoblin that had managed to acquire a position of relative authority. On uh, the Savage Coast. Legendary. But I managed to, before uh, a certain character in a uh, book that hung around with a uh, drow elf, I managed to get a uh, Dwarven Forge going again, and uh, from that was able to craft a Dwarven Hammer, the Dwarven Thrower of Legend, and boy did I use that. Oh yeah, when the campaign got high level, uh, and things were difficult, that's when that came into play. Yep. Uh. Hammer and stone, break and bone. <laughs> yes, that was my uh, call to arms. <laughs> and, uh, you know, pole plate, dwarf... You know, just clad head to toe. Even the beard was armored. That's right, I had a special coif for my beard. Ah, all right. Just to protect the beard. That's right, because the beard's darn important. <laughs> Actually, that would have been smart for a few other players, I Yeah, knew, I know. Who took, you know, several points of beard damage. Ah. Yeah, I made elaborate drawings of the, uh, the dwarf breakdown of the armor, how the helm and the uh, scale mail beard coif. Cool. But... That, that's Duro. Uh, a lot of legend about him in the Forgotten Realms, but uh, yeah, before, uh, what was it, Streams of Silver or the Crystal Shard, that was it, where they introduced... Uh, Brunor Battlehammer. Yeah, Brunor Battlehammer. And a great character to, to boot. But, oh, uh, yeah. That was very well written. I mean, it's lingered in popularity forever after. Yeah, but that was before him. I mean, we were doing the Forgotten Realms, and thanks to Mike for that. So. Well, and there's a lot of characters I have great affection for uh, that I've really enjoyed playing and that I put a lot of thought into. But if I'm going to end on, on a note and include something that was not strictly D&D, just watch Randy flinch when I say this. I'm, I'm waiting. Mm. I'm going to Starfinder. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> yeah. One of the most fun characters I have ever run where I really got to let go, let my hair down, open the kimono, and go crazy. Oh, without rain or light. Farstucker. Uh, yeah, the Farstucker. impromptu captain of our ship. You know, not, not captain in the captainly Captain Kirk sense, but uh, very much in the, like, the face man in A-Team sense. Yeah, he was playing an half-elf operative. Yeah, half-elf operative who was chiefly a con artist who had talked his way into a lot of things that were over his head and weaseled his way right back out. Uh, if you can imagine somebody opening a blender, putting in Rick from Rick and Morty, Archer, and Austin Powers, and then blending into a fine... Toxic <laughs> brew. Uh, drug, drug and alcohol-addled... Um, Insensate. Beverage. Uh, that was Barstucker. And... You know, his, his perpetual taglines were, you know, me... I would literally, before any game, I would at least have one planning session per week to figure out smart-alecky quips 
uh, and things like going, you know, we're, we're about to face an opponent and I'd yell, oh, oh God, oh, my leg. Uh, and I'd yell that right before the combat begins uh, and then apologize, oh, sorry, that's your line, and then shoot them in the leg. <laughs> yeah. He always had a quip and being stuck on board the same ship with him was a headache. <laughs> Uh, because I was busy looking for hijinks, and we were trying to... I know the party was trying to focus on serious gameplay, but I, I felt that, you know, the joy, the the wild nature of this character called for just letting it go, and, you know, somehow he manages to get things right in spite of himself. Uh, yeah. But it was, it was about laughing and having a good time. So, uh, because the core concept of that character was about being a little outrageous and... Uh, the crestfallen look on this guy's face right here when we introduced characters and we were setting foot on Absalom Station for the first time and Barstucker gets off of the transport ship and Randy introduces an alien healer. Uh, A surgeon. Inquiring as to whether those travelers, you know, like, have you any illnesses which need attending to? May I assist you? And my response was, Barstucker unzips his trousers and pulls out his junk. He says, well, I've got a rash right here, and I've had it for about three sectors, and I, I'm not sure, is this the kind of thing that I, I should, like, just put a little ointment on, or should I consult somebody for a cure disease? <laughs> Does this look infected to you? <laughs> um, I don't know. I need a microscope. <laughs> you know, yeah. So Yeah, that was my opener. The yeah, introduction of my character opener. was uh, an act of... Uh, exhibitionism and he just looked at me stony faced like really that's how you want to that's okay so it's going to be like that yeah it's going to be like that at least we have the lines are drawn now and the battle lines had been drawn so he knew what he was getting into but no that was the number three one of the best characters i've ever played yeah i i wanted to talk a little bit about uh, a solo from cyberpunk i played with steel that uh Back in Cyberpunk, I'm just going to end this uh, real quick. I think it deserves a little bit of honorable mention because if anybody knows about Cyberpunk, there are only two character classes, Solos and everybody else. And Solos are basically the fighters. And let's just say in the world of gunfire, uh, Solos go first. And if you go <laughs> first, you kill everybody. And Steel was a former Army uh, Cyborg Special Forces guy, which, you know, that's just what you do when you're playing that. And uh, I run roughshod over many people's games and would transfer the character from one cyberpunk to another. And I kind of gained at the college a little bit of following as I would actually have phone calls to show up. Okay, bring steel. Because, man, this is a real tough run and we need some heavy firepower. Can you, and, Can you show up tonight, bro? And it was almost like cyberpunk, you know, where your characters would get calls. You know, there's a mission, I'll cut you in. You know, you know 30,000... Corporate creds, you know, if you show up for this one. All right, I'm in. Oh, that, man, that reminds me of uh, Shadowrun, the first big campaign mm -hmm. we ran for that. Uh, I was running the uh, ex-corporate guy, uh, the ex-corporate hitman security dude, 8-Ball. 8-Ball, yep. Not because of the drug reference some people might think, but because he was always behind the 8-Ball. He just Mr. Bad Luck. Almost red. Nothing you know, retired early. Extremely dangerous. Exactly. Retired, extremely dangerous. With, uh, you know, he was very much in that vein. Just, 
time for another paycheck. Yep. <laughs> Assuming this one doesn't slip through my fingers. So we'll yeah. leave you at those. But, but yeah, those he was—he had a great one. You know, a great pine from Michuhama getting a missile launcher to take out a dragon. <laughs> Shooting a dragon in the. Oh, I cashed out all the cash that character had because uh, one of our fellow players got baked, and I was just incensed. All I was like, I want it to know we can hurt it too. I don't care if I kill it. I just need it to know it's got to watch its tail. Do you bleed? <laughs> if it bleeds, it can die. Uh, so yeah, grudge matches and classic character stories. But that's the essence of gaming. It's it's what it's all about. Is you have an experience at a table with a handful of people that becomes a part of your memories the same way it would if you had all read the same book or all watched the same movie. Mm -hmm. So that's our homage to favorite characters and tales thereof. Yep, and uh, I think we kept it pretty within uh, pretty much within the parameters we set out. So as we're starting to run it down here, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or just generally want to get in on the action or even, you know, pitch an idea for an episode, we're all ears. So get a hold of us on our Facebook page, The Dice Are Screaming, as well as our Twitter handles. That's Death Hand Gaming. That's D-E-T-H Gaming. And, oh, Magi Box. On Twitter, yep. Um, I'm on pretty, I, my smartphone just alerts me most of the time when I get a direct message, so just slip me a DM and I'll, uh, you know, slip you one back. Uh, yeah, no, not creepy. A DM I'm, to the DM. Yep, a DM to the DM. And with that. Carpe DM. Oh, carpe DM. I like that. <laughs> yes, that's right. We'll do a carpe DM. A fish, I'll, I'll send you a picture of a carp. Carpe DM. Behind a GM screen. Yeah. Just like. That has to be a meme now. That yeah. has to be a meme. we got to do that. We'll make this happen. All right. But until then... May the, the dice, dice always roll in your, your favor. favor. We're out. See ya.